another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. I'm your host, Ryan Horn. Great to have you aboard here, as always. So, we're going back into politics a little bit on this one. We have covered some political corruption before, and that's what we will be doing on this podcast. This is going to cover something, this is not a case from my state, but very similar, I think, parallel to a politician here in my state, and a little more on that later, but this is a the case of Sheldon Silver, also covered on American Greed, how he went from New York General Assembly Speaker to a federal inmate, and greed and abuse of power led the way for that to happen. Now, Sheldon was born into a Jewish family in New York, supposedly later earned his law degree in 1968 at Brooklyn Law School. And he supposedly had a very successful legal career and worked for some powerful New York judges. So he got his foot into politics pretty young age to get a chance to get his foot in the door and kind of work his way up a little bit. And this helped him pave the way for him to get elected to the New York General Assembly in 1976. Now, I don't know what it is in your state, in Illinois. uh, It's also called the General General Assembly here. Uh, Depends each state. Some of it's just called the House, kind of like the State House Representatives. Each state, as I said, is different. Here in Illinois, where I'm from, they also call it the General Assembly, but it is just your House of Representatives for your state, where... Your state will also have a Senate. In Illinois, it's just called the Illinois Senate, as I'm sure it is in most other states. But he was able to get elected to this position and continue to rise through the ranks in New York politics from that point on. In fact, it's a role that he actually would hold until 2015 when things would come crumbling down for him, as we'll see. But he would rise to the role of speaker. Now, you, you know, we're not talking about the speaker of the House like in the United States Congress, who is the third in line for the presidency, or second, I guess, really, when you get past the vice president and then the speaker of the House. But this is the speaker of a, the state house, still very powerful position to have, and it's the top dog among the House representatives in your state. And he grabbed this position in 1994, which he would hold, as I said, until 2015, when things began to become unraveled for him. In fact, his style was very much uh, iron-fisted and like a dictator, and one journalist actually did refer to him as an iron-fisted dictator that would use the legislative body, quote, for his own personal gain and profit. Now, who this sounds an awful lot alike, and one we will probably cover soon in this podcast once all of his criminal and civil charges are resolved, is Illinois Speaker of the House, former Illinois Speaker of the House, Mike Madigan. If you're familiar with Illinois politics whatsoever in the last several decades, you no doubt know who I'm talking about, and very corrupt individual, had a corrupt reputation also, just as Mr. Silver did for running this state as his own personal piggy bank, very heavy-handed, iron-fisted style, 
you had to pay to play, which is part of what's gotten Madigan into criminal problems as well as some civil issues, and we'll see that also led to Silver's decline. But the two very much did parallel. Now, the only difference is Madigan held this post for an extremely long period of time. Actually, I believe it's a record for any state House Speaker. He held this post uh, for about 40 years, my understanding. So he has dominated, he dominated Illinois politics much the way Silver did, although again, Silver didn't dominate for quite as long as Madigan did, but the two are very paralleled in their legislative style and for the corruption and for just simply lining their pockets through their elected position. Now, one thing he was known for, though, was actually helping get the death penalty reinstated with then-Governor George Pataki. And I remember when Pataki got elected in 94, one of the things he kind of campaigned on was bringing back the death penalty in New York as they had seen a massive spike in crime over the years and over the decades, and that was something he vowed to bring back and did and got this move through the House largely with the help of Sheldon Silver. Now, surprisingly, though, Silver would later backtrack his support for the death penalty. Now, we don't know if that's from political pressure or anything from his own party. He was a Democrat. Pataki was Republican, and the Democrat Party generally opposes the death penalty, so that could have been something that led to pressure for him to step down from that and back off that a little bit. But it did get through and pass through the New York legislature and signed by Governor Pataki, again, largely because of the efforts that Sheldon Silver did. Now, there were some attempts, though. People did see the corruption and the abuse, and there were concerns, and a lot of people wanted to get him off that post. And there were attempts to unseat him as speaker, but they were not successful. And when you really think about it, that doesn't happen very often. We've seen a few instances in Congress where... Once in a while, one of the speakers of the House will get challenged from their own party, but as far as getting unseated and replaced, it just doesn't happen very often. Once you get entrenched into office and get that position, it is very difficult to get somebody out, and it's not just party positions like that. Incumbents in general are are hard to get out. That's why, like in congressional and even a lot of state races like this, they hold a huge advantage. I think Congress, the national, the federal Congress, their re-election rates are in the 90-some-odd percent range, you know, well into the 90s. It's just impossible. They have large financial advantages, name recognition, and a lot of things over their opponents, and it's hard to get them out. So when you get some power that's safe like that, the old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely, that's what we see here in this case. Now, Silver was also criticized for covering up sexual harassment allegations and also delaying MMA, that's mixed martial arts, from coming into New York. And I was surprised when preparing for this podcast, reading that, that New York was about the last state to actually have where it was legal to do any mixed martial arts events. And that's surprising, a state the size of New York that's known for boxing and a lot of a lot of their sports, that they were the last to actually allow it and legalize for mixed martial arts events to happen, you know, your UFCs and fights like that. This is something that did not come around very quickly in New York, and supposedly they believe Silver had a lot to do with delaying legislation to get that passed and up and going in the state. 
And again, that was kind of surprising to me. I honestly would have figured New York might have been among the first states to probably adapt that since, you know, you've got Madison Square Garden in New York that's famous for some of the most epic boxing matches of all time. So it would have just to me just been a no-brainer to think that that MMA maybe was partially launched in New York, but that wasn't the case. It came around very much later, and that delay was largely attributed to Sheldon Silver. But all these things apparently did not bother the voters or his colleagues because, like I said, he was not unseated from his own party from this post, and the voters continually put him back and re-elected him. And that's the frustration we had in downstate Illinois where I'm at because, you know, everybody knew the abuses that Speaker Madigan was doing here in Illinois for years and years and decades even, and yet the voters in Chicago continued to put him back into office, and it was very frustrating because everyone in the world could see this, and most likely a lot of you listening know who I'm talking about and the cases that I'm talking about here and the massive corruption, which he was just recently, I believe it was last year, finally brought up on charges on everything, but despite all the controversy surrounding that and the abuse of power, the voters in Chicago continued to elect him and put him in office, and that was the same thing here in New York. Even though he was responsible for a lot of corruption and heavy-handed leadership style allegations of lining his own pockets, which we'll see in a little bit, delaying MMA, covering up sexual harassment, didn't bother the voters in New York in his district, and they continued to elect him and put him in office. Now, uh, some of that would change, though, as I said, in 2015. In fact, on January 22, 2015, he was arrested and charged with extortion, wire fraud, and mail fraud. Some of the usual charges we get on this, that we talk about on this podcast, and usually involving when the feds are involved on any type of financial crimes, these are some of the big ones people often get charged with. And he was alleged to have received large payments from a law firm that specialized in seeking large tax reductions for real estate developers. And he was alleged to have received millions in a similar fashion from other powerful law firms. So you've got the legal folks involved, which, you know, as we said a little bit ago, he started out his career in the legal profession, graduated Brooklyn Law School, and started out working for some judges, so he was able to establish a pretty good legal reputation and probably connections along the way, and this certainly helped him line his own pockets in cases and situations like this. Only difference is from before, he's not just clerking or working for judges. He's the Speaker of the New York House, which is a very, the General Assembly, which is a very powerful position. I mean, any state to be the Speaker of your state house is, it's a prominent position. It's something that uh, goes with some clout. And unfortunately, as we've seen over and over, and we talk about over and over in this podcast, clout is sometimes abused. And he was alleged to have abused this position and used these connections and to have received millions in similar type fashion from other powerful law firms that were involved in the payments. Basically, he helped get the breaks and the tax cuts for the real estate developers, and in turn, they funneled the breaks and some of the cut, so to speak, of these deals to him directly. Now, word had gotten out for a while, just again, like I said, like it had for Madigan, and there was intense pressure for him to resign after he had been 
charged criminally. This is January 22nd. Finally, eight days later on January 30th, he does step down from his role as speaker in the General Assembly. But oddly not to resign, he did not resign his House seat. So even though he's not the speaker of the New York General Assembly anymore after he resigns, eight days after the criminal charges, he still remains in this seat and can still get reelected if the voters so choose to do so. And he vows that he's going to fight these charges and hang on to this seat and everything else that goes along with it. But he gets brought to trial, and in November 2015, he did go on a long trial and for these seven corruption charges that we talked about, you know, extortion, wire fraud, and mail fraud. And he was found guilty on all seven counts, and that automatically expelled him, I guess by New York law, from the New York House there. So no longer was it going to be in the voters' hands, which are lucky because if they had kept putting this guy in for this long, most likely the charges and the corruption didn't bother them. They probably still would have put him back in at this point. So it's a good thing he was automatically expelled, so then this kind of took it out of the hands of the voters in his district. An appeals court did initially uphold his conviction, and he was sentenced to a one 12-year term and a one 10-year term. So he got two separate terms. And he was fined nearly $7 million, which no telling how much he actually got funneled to him over these years, but that was the fine, probably somewhere near that. That's usually what I think they try to do a lot of times is levy the fines in the amount that they've uh, ripped off the voters or their constituents, investors, whomever. But in 2017, an appeals court would overturn his conviction, and he was freed on bail. But he was retried again the very next year in 2018, and this time he was sentenced to seven years in federal prison. So he gets a little bit less, you know, before, like I said, 14 and 10 Now he's gotten it down to, I'm sorry, a 12-year term and a 10-year term. Now he's gotten it down to seven, so he's already kind of chipping away at what was already done. And he was, yet again, finally, he he remained free at this time while appealing yet again. And finally, after all this, he was finally again resentenced this time to a six-and-a-half-year term and a fine of $1 million. So he pretty much cut in half because he got it down to this one term of six-and-a-half versus the two that were 12 and 10. So he basically literally almost cut his sentence in half and from a $7 million fine whittled it down all the way to $1 million. So he must have had some pretty good attorneys, connections, whatever, to get that accomplished, but nonetheless he did, and he managed to... That's a pretty significant turnaround when you get your sentence cut in half. And then on top of that, you you know, your your fines that you're levied against you, six-sevenths of them, for lack of better words, get wiped out. I mean, like I said, he was fined $7 million, but eventually, through appeals, got this all the way down to $1 million. So I would say that would probably be considered a moral win for him at that time. And he finally did report to prison on August 26, 2020, which who knows what was going on at that time. We all remember that time. Everything was kind of in the COVID craze in this country. And I wondered when I was researching for this podcast if he tried to maybe pull that card that, 
he shouldn't have to report to prison because of COVID. Because you remember a lot, they were clearing out a lot of jails and prisons during that time. And they were not housing people nearly as much during this time as they were previously. It really had to be an emergency, I know, here in Illinois at that time for somebody to get locked up for something. It's a very crazy time, but that's the time he reported to prison. It was also around this time his son-in-law was sent to prison also for a multi-million dollar crime. So, runs in the family. I guess his, uh, no word of his daughter was involved in it. Not that I could see in anything she was, so I'm assuming she wasn't. But his son-in-law was. Now, how much Sheldon was involved in that, who knows. But you can't help but wonder if his son-in-law did not use his powerful father-in-law's influence to line his pockets a little bit and leverage some things in his favor. You can almost assume that's what happened but nonetheless he was also sent to prison so they kept it in the family now he did die in federal prison just a little over a year ago january 24th 2022 died before he could finish up his term so this is where the story will end in that regard we don't know what will ever happen like i said a lot of times on this podcast we always like to see where they're at when they're done The last podcast we did on Martin Frankel, we talked about he was released, he is out, he could possibly still offend again. That won't be the case with Sheldon Silver. He's not going to be able to run for office again. He's not going to be able to use any type of power and abuse because he's no longer with us. He passed away, so he will not get the chance to get released and prey upon other victims and use a powerful position like that to line his own pockets. Now, it didn't look like he had a whole lot longer to go in this sentence, so it's very possible he could have gotten another chance, but he passed away before that opportunity allowed itself. So his is a case that we won't have to wonder about, but oftentimes I do when these ones get out is which one they're going to victimize next. Now, we will be doing one, as I said a little bit ago, down the road on former Illinois Speaker Mike Madigan. He was arrested and charged with some things and he's got some civil action brought against him and my understanding there could be a slew of more charges brought against him before everything's over so we are certainly going to follow that one as well because that really a lot paralyzes this case or I'm sorry parallels this case and it's something we're going to try to you know cover on here too so we appreciate you tuning in for this one hope you will tune in next time and I will say next week, we will not have a podcast. Wife and I will be on vacation, much needed vacation. We'll be doing some traveling, so we will be taking a week off. We will be back in action the first Tuesday of April. This is, I believe, the 4th, if I'm not mistaken. So we will be back in action on the 4th. And as I said before, in April, we have a guest coming up to speak about white-collar crime and greed is kind of like one of the seven deadly sins approach but we appreciate you tuning in watch out for your friends and family especially the elderly there's always people out there trying to scam and get one up on them Uh, like our facebook page and be sure to uh, give us a good five-star review on spotify and the other places apple podcast anywhere you hear this podcast We uh, are certainly glad that you tune in. Hope you'll like our Facebook page where you can follow the stories and developments we have. Share it, get the word out, and help us shine the light on these cases that do not get near the media publicity that street crime does. And we like to get the word out on this and continue to get the word out on this. 
Uh, check out my website, ryan-horn.com, if you need a voiceover services. As I said, getting ready to have a, an audio book I've recorded that will be coming out on Cherry Hills Publication soon. I'm really excited about that. More and word on that soon. And as I always say, too, shop at the local pet shelter for your next best friend. As the wife says, adopt, don't shop, because they need you and they need your support. And please be sure to support these type of organizations and and not the puppy mills and things like that. And as I've said before on here, too, if you can't donate money, you know, donate your time, volunteer, help them out if you're not able to adopt a pet yourself. But if you are in need of a pet and going to have to adopt your next best friend, by all means, please adopt from your local shelter. So we will see you in a couple weeks. Thank you for tuning in. God bless and see you next time, everybody.